1: This is a
0: first for all of us, and we can't expect them to understand it fully and for them to solve it. We're barely doing that ourselves as adults, and we're pushing it along as we go. So we have to allow them grace, and by allowing them grace, we have to allow ourselves as adults grace too.
2: Welcome to WBBM In-Death. My name's Lauren Brown. Last year, due to the rising number of COVID-19 cases, schools shut down and began remote learning. During that time, students missed out on social activities, companionship, and extracurriculars. We spoke with Jamila Lyons, a licensed professional counselor and behavior therapist, about the uptick in school fights and behavior challenges since the return to in-person learning. What brought me to this point or into the field of mental
0: health Really is something that's kind of holds something near and dear to me. Um, It's family. And with my family, you know, we've had um, two major deaths in my family my mother and my sister. Um, And it's being able to give to everybody, but more specifically, give to people of color the resources and the the space to be able to talk about, you know, things that, you know, or that have been historically things that we wouldn't talk about.
2: Can you talk about how access, how you talked about earlier, finding resources for minority individuals to learn more about mental health? Can you talk about the disparities, mental health service, and how that kind of affects um, those communities?
0: Sure. Well, let's talk about disparities first, right? Um, When we look at mental health services, the the stigma around it is that, um, it's more of, and I'm putting in air quotes, a white person's, you know, thing and black people or people of color do not seek out those types of services. We've been taught that we go to church. Right. But, you know, while those places are all well and good, there is a level of, of there's some things that, need a qualified professional to really, you know, get into. So, you know, we can talk traumas, you know, like, oh, my mom, no, she beat me and I to end up being fine. Yeah, we hear that all the time. But what about some of the other things, you know? And so as far as resources we're finding that there are more um, community-based programs that are providing services for, you know, the community as a whole, um, for both children, adolescents, as well as adults. And it's just being able to figure out where those resources are. So in the height of the pandemic, you know, school is shut down, work is shut down. Um, Everyone's going stir crazy. Um, I know CPS definitely did a really good initiative, one, providing food for for students, but also providing um, resources within like the counseling departments for children and being able to kind of, they beefed up their SEL, which is social emotional learning that we're seeing a little bit more prevalent now. That's inside school. But outside of school, you know, we are seeing that there are a lot more agencies that are taking taking the time to really put out information and quality research-based information that um, can can help and be utilized by individuals in, all, in
2: these communities, but also by people of color. As a behavior therapist, how would mm-hmm. you describe the effects of remote learning on students, you know, social and emotional well-being, the pandemic kind of amplifying these emotions? How can you kind of describe that?
0: Absolutely. So. At the time of the pandemic, I was actually, while part time being a therapist, I was actually a, a paraprofessional. So I would have to sit in these classes online with these kids. Um, we saw a lot of. As far as not a lot of participation, let's start there first, right? Having to wake up in the morning and get you on know, and roll out of bed to log in into your computer and not just doing that for a day, but doing that for days and then doing that for weeks and then months on end. Um, we saw a decline in attendance. Um, not only did we see a decline in attendance, we saw declines in grades, Um You know, we saw, as we saw a decline in attendance and decline in grades, we we saw a rise in anxiety. We saw a rise in depression. We saw a rise in hospitalizations within children. And again, this is only just talking about children. So you can only imagine what that looked like for adults and the adults that are possibly within these familiar structures with these children. And so it was a lot of stir crazy. Um, my own child, while she's, my child is eight, while she is self-sufficient and, you know, I can toot my own horn about my own child, my own child even got to the point where she was like, mommy, I just need a break, you know? And and being able as a mom and and taking my therapist hat off and say, you know what, babe, sweetheart, yes, you can take a break because you've done what I've asked you to do. You've done what your teachers have asked you to do. It's okay to pause for the day and just, take the day to rest or take the day to let's just go outside and let's get active because we're all sitting in these four walls going stir crazy, uh, literally about to lose our minds because we, this was, we weren't prepared for this. We just weren't. And, and, you know, the, that's that part. So the, the emotional part of, of having all that pent up energy, but nothing to do nowhere to harness it or nowhere to put it. We also now that we've come out of the height of the pandemic, we're seeing that we're seeing a lot of aggression, right? We're seeing we're seeing a lot of aggression. We're seeing that social skills or social cues that we've once learned have dropped tremendously, and how to socialize um, with each other. Um, And I think that can be a point of tribute to again being in the house. And not having activities and things to do to kind of allow that energy to just be, to let, let it go. And with anything, if you hold something in, but for so long, eventually it's going to just burst at the seams. And that sounds like that's, that's exactly what we're seeing right now.
2: Mm -hmm. And talking about, you know, that built up aggression and children Mm -hmm. going back to school, we've seen an uptick in school fights and brawls Mm -hmm. and all these situations. Is it really happening as much as we've been seeing, you know, on the news and in the spotlight? Or do you think that, in your opinion, it's kind of more of a it's not as a common occurrence and it's kind of just this new thing that people are discussing a lot?
0: Well, I would say it's a it's a bit of both. And I think the what kind of exacerbated it was COVID um and being able to be out um we've seen fights here and there um you know we we've seen fights i know you said that there was some and that was in your area there's definitely some that were in my area the series of cps fights that we had seen throughout the city um we definitely see them they may not get talked about as much but we have to we we have to look at all factors that are are involved in it and we can't you know, sit in and, and and act like COVID did not have a, a part to play in it. Um, you know, we say that, you know, sometimes when we're put on lockdown, sometimes our vendettas get put on lockdown, right? But once we're able to get off lockdown or we're able to get out, it's like it's reemerging. So whatever qualm or whatever issue I might have had where it, that was where we left it at gets picked back up. And it just restarts that whole cycle again. And then again, I, we, we have that inner, that pent up energy. We have that pent up aggression. And it's just like, we don't have this. We haven't really, we have to get back to getting to the skills of what it really means to have dialogue. Dialogue doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to agree. We can agree to disagree, but are we doing it in, in a healthy manner?
2: And when we talk about, you know, like you said, learning loss and uh, these behavior issues, how can we kind of make up for that gap? How do we kind of work uh, together, school systems, parents, how do they kind of work together to kind of make up for that time? Outside of being a therapist, I'm also a Title I learning coach. And basically at the beginning of the
0: school year, it was sitting down and really assessing the kids' needs and just going back to basics really going back to basics. um, And that might vary based on grade level, but it is going back to basics. Learning loss. So we have to to think, you know, the kids have been out, we're out for almost a year and they were expected to go right back to school given where they were. That's just not going to happen. And we have to be able to take the time and model as adults. So this is not just teachers, but this is also parents being able to model what is it that, what behaviors do we want to foster in these children? And then as far as like academics and stuff, being able to kind of go over the basics, you know, again, wherever a child might be. And then as adults, I know I mentioned the word model, but it's not enough just to model just for the moment in time. We also have to model it because we have to model it for ourselves. If we're in these environments and in these spaces with these sponges that we call children, they're watching us. And so we have to be very cognizant and very aware and very intentional of how, how we move in these spaces because they're, they're gonna, it's pretty much, they're gonna do what we do. And we're no longer in the, in the age of do as I say, not as I do. They we're not there anymore. They're going to do what we do. So we have to be able to model that. As far as for parents and being in home, it's being able to reach out to the resources. It's uh, for resources. It's reaching out to teachers. It's going beyond the school system. It's going to reaching out to communities, community leaders. It's reaching out to mental health professionals. It's also reaching out to other parents and say, hey, um, I noticed that, you know, our kids are in the same school and it seems like they might be having the same issues. You know, let's let's work together. It's getting back to that, what it really means to be a community and no child left behind, no person left behind. And like being able to pick them up and say, all right, let's move forward together so that we can repair what has done. We, it's not going to happen overnight. But if we all can seemingly start to be on one accord and on the same page, we'll be moving steadily in the right direction.
2: What are some of the signs parents can look for to see some of those mental health needs that their children might need? And a lot of parents, this is new. Mm -hmm. They haven't experienced this. But what are some things that they could look for? Sure. So one thing that I always say, you know, it's getting creative with,
0: you know, the questions that you ask, you know, we can easily say, oh, how was your day? today? And you're going to get the same answer day in and day out. So we can kind of switch it up a little bit. One, one thing that has definitely helped with my own child is I'll say, tell me something good that happened today, or tell me something, some, tell me something that worked today. Tell me something that didn't work today. And it's providing the, the safe space for a child to tell their story because once they get started, they're going to tell it and they're going to tell it all and they're going to tell it in a way in which with they feel comfortable enough to tell it, they're going to let you in into their world. And then you're able to, you know, say talk to go a little bit more in depth, obviously age appropriately, but it's creating the safe space, you know, um, we're at we're at an age where. Children have so much that they want to say, but sometimes they may not feel comfortable saying it because of being judged or if not being judged in fear of being reprimanded, being punished. So I, if, if we're having a very you know, serious you know, conversation, I always say, you're not in trouble here. This is a safe space. what, tell me what, you know, what's on your mind and allowing them the space to actually talk. And now, as far as behaviors go, just looking for things that are kind of not characteristic. If you have a child who is very vibrant and very lively and loud, and all of a sudden you start to see that personality start to diminish, you know, kind of keying in a little bit, you know, like, let's like say, Hey, I noticed that, you know, you know, you're not your, bubbly self anymore you know how can we get that back or you know what's going on I try to stay away from like why questions simply because if someone asks you why nine times out of ten we're going to get very defensive so it's get one it's giving them the space in order to truly be themselves with no judgment and then just say and and asking them like so how is this how is this affecting your how is this you know coming out a certain way or or where do you see this more Or in what areas or where in your day are you feeling this way? So we can get a better, clearer understanding of what is going on with them in their own words. And then by taking that, we're able to game plan together because we want to be able to give them a sense of autonomy, right? When as, as, we, as we raise our children, the whole goal is to make them, you know, productive citizens of the world. And doing so, we give them the skills that they need to go out in the world to do and be themselves. So we want to create that space of let's game plan together. What do you feel? That we we can do differently? Or or how can, or what do you think we can we can a plan that we can put together so that you feel better, so that you feel more secure, so that you feel that you can come to any adult and feel safe to tell your story. And by that, we'll give them the strength and the courage to step into themselves and, and be able to really identify their own voice versus just taking our voice. Well, my mom said, or my dad said, or my, or my Nana said, I should do this. Me and my mom came together and we decided that this is what's going to work for me. I spoke to my mom and I decided that this is what's going to help me and being able to be encouraging. And lastly, lastly, and I say this in in all of my sessions with my clients, allowing our children grace. (laughs) This is, this is something that This is a first for all of us, and we can't expect them to understand it fully and for them to solve it. We're barely doing that ourselves as adults, and we're pushing it along as we go. So we have to allow them grace, and by allowing them grace, we have to allow ourselves as adults grace too that we're not going to get it on the first try, that it's going to be trial and error. They're going to be good days and not so great days. But all in all, as long as we are providing the safe space to be and exist and to do better than the next day, if that's all we did accomplish for the one day, then we did what we need to do. It's kind of pulling back on the expectations in this so that we can get a better understanding of what is really going on so that we really can help each other.
2: What are mm-hmm. some things that you think school systems can do or you've seen them do to kind of combat this problem that's been going on right now in regards to school fights? I think that it's what really helps is collaboration. No one system
0: can do it alone. And systems are they're linked you know you have the home system right that's the that's that's the values that were that we're given to a child then that child from that system goes into another system and there's these various different systems that are trying to operate independently of one another versus being able to coexist and work together so if if we're able to change and and to change that and really look at you know at the most ground level we all need each other in one way or shape or form. So you know, school systems can definitely pair with like the healthcare system because let's talk about it. That's that's definitely a part of it. The school system can also you know work closely, more closely with the city, as far as initiatives, um, providing programming for different age groups and different for different things, whether it be. Um, and I'm trying to think off the top of my head. obviously, uh, we have like after school matters, we have those types of programs, and when that really focuses on homework. But what about after school program or in-school program programming that you know, can be tailored more towards mental health? It's a topic of conversation. and you know when we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I can ask you to perform at the highest level all day, but if your basic needs are not being met, food, shelter, water, uh, a roof over your head, and, and basic safety, I can't assume that you're going to give me what it is that I need. So it's being able to say, okay, before we say this child has this, let's look at, let's look at the child as a whole, wholly. Are their needs being met? And if their needs aren't being met in this, how can we provide that to them? If a child needs to eat, how can we give them resources for food? If, if a child needs, you know, um, services outside of just the academics, maybe they need Title One coaching. How do we give that to them? If a child is a physical disabilities, how can we give them the resources that they need to be to do to, to what they need in order to thrive and be successful? So we don't have to operate independently in, in, in like these silos. Like we can come together and really sit at the table and say, hey, let's create programs that are not just going to be tailored to one child on one side of the city for whatever reason, but can't benefit another child on the other opposite end of the city. They're both children, and they both need they both need resources. It sh- we should be able to give them, and it be equal.
2: What do you think is at stake if we don't try to address these issues, if we don't cater more towards mental health, uh, fi- having a room in the school where students can go to take breaks, mental breaks, having mm-hmm. more counselors, counselors of color um, in these mm-hmm. predominantly um, Black areas and predominantly minority schools. What's at stake if we don't try to address these problems or issues that we're having right now that we're seeing? Honestly, there are if we
0: don't take the time to really address these issues, we're going to continue to perpetuate what has been perpetuated in these systems for years—that years that came before us. Um, we we need diversity and inclusion. We need students to see people who look like them, both physically. You know, we also need students who who have disabilities who may not necessarily be physical who might be like physically we need we need children to be able to see people who look like them because in having that it's fostering that relationship and where I, I I'm, I'm able to foster trust and build trust not saying that someone on the outside can't but historically speaking it's it's more of a challenge in that regard and so that's one that's one way and then if we don't see if we don't try to make these changes we'll still see rises in in in, in school violence or, or even in just in violent in like neighborhoods we'll still see rises like might it, what might it be a small increases but it's still going upward versus coming down and so it's being able to really just bluntly say like this is the issue that we have and it's just not enough to just kind of push it around like we really need to sit with it be uncomfortable with it and say okay this is how we need to address it and then bring the necessary pieces to the table so that we can address it we're on a continuum right and outside of COVID and the pandemic life has still moved right so what might have worked on monday may not work on friday and as we just have to be very open-minded and 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 understand where we are as ourselves as individuals as well as the collective the collective unit of whether it be a neighborhood whether it be a city whether it be a state and, and and so on and so on and allow ourselves to receive the information that's coming our way. Not just only receive, but really comb through it and decipher and say, okay, where are the discrepancies? If there are any discrepancies, what is this rooted in? Okay, is this going to benefit this particular group? If it's not, let me challenge you as to why it's not. And not why to be snippy, but I want a better understanding so that it can, so something can be created to help, you know, underserved, underprivileged
2: individuals in areas. That was Jamila Lyons. Thanks for tuning in to WBBM In Depth. Don't forget to subscribe on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A news radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. (laughs)